Today's first scripture reading comes from Psalm 116, verses 1 to 9 and 17 to 19. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from the second chapter of Jonah. We'll read the entirety of the chapter, which is, as you'll notice, a prayer, a psalm, really, in the middle of this narrative of the life and mission of Jonah, such as it is. Let's hear God's word. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've already heard our story from Jonah chapter 2, so let's have a little meditation upon it, shall we? Um, as most of you know, I'm, I'm learning German, and I'm still learning German. Uh, however, you probably also don't know that my wife is 
quickly overtaking me. So if you want to be really impressed, uh, talk to my wife Ellie and try out her German. Uh, she'll be taking a, a test at the end of the month and officially surpass me, so you can pray for her preparation and her success on the test. But I'm still trying to improve my German, and in order to do that, I often try to get German into my ears, right? High German, as much as possible. And that means usually podcasts and sermons and audiobooks and news and these kinds of things. And recently I tried something a little different. I found a serial podcast produced over six or seven episodes in German, and it explores the theme of death. What happens when somebody dies? And if my uh, verstandness is okay, then here's what I learned, basically, from all these doctors. We think that death is really simple, right? You're either alive or you're dead. You're alive, and then you're dead. Doctors know, however, that it's not really that simple. Um, it's not just your heart stops, your brain quits. The cells in your body, in fact, are alive for a lot longer than you are alive. So it's a little bit complicated. Long after the doctor declares you're dead, parts of you anyway are still moving around. And that's weird and a little bit morbid to talk about. But like I said last week, Billy Collins says that all poetry is really about death anyway. And we have a poem in front of us this morning, so we'll have to just deal with it, won't we? But even at the purely physical and the scientific level that this podcast and all of the doctors they interview are speaking about, matters of life and death are not so simple as we think. It's a podcast about death, but what I'm finding as I listen to it, again, if I'm understanding it correctly, is how layered and complex and rich, actually, human life is. All of these various different systems that are not just keeping us technically alive, but filling us with life. And life at so many different beautiful, wonderful levels. Maybe, again, that's what poetry does. It's always about death, but it's, in the end, supposed to make us treasure the life that we do have. And the scriptures themselves, and this poem from Jonah, this poem from the pit of the whale, or the fish, shows us that on top of this merely scientific level, this sense of life's richness that science shows us, the spiritual sense of what life and living really is, is even richer still. The Bible introduces us to the source of life, the Lord Yahweh. But even before we are properly introduced to the source of life, God, we are already experiencing this person, whether we know it or not, because the Lord God, the Bible teaches us, is so full of life. He's the Lord and the giver of life, like the creed teaches us. And that means that if we are alive, then we are always alive because of his life, his very life sustains us. And that means conversely that to be away from the presence of the, of the Lord and to be away from his power and his grace is to lack life, to be ultimately dead. To move away from his face is to have life slip away from you. 
And as we're discovering, that is precisely what is so deadly about Jonah's journey away from the face of Yahweh, his God. To run from God's life is, in the end, to have something of a death wish. And throughout chapter 1, Jonah gradually realizes that, in fact, if he is going to flee God's face, he is fleeing life itself. At the end of that flight, he realizes, is death itself. And then finally, at the end of chapter 1, it seems like he's going to get his wish, right? If the only way to be alive is to be in the presence and before the face of his God, then he's decided he would rather be dead. Because he doesn't like this God and his grace, especially to people like the Ninevites. Finally, he's gotten away from God's face, he thinks, as the sailors throw him into the raging Mediterranean Sea. And that's, of course, when the Lord appoints this great fish. The waters surrounded him, and now the very guts of this fish surround him. The wind and the waves had overwhelmed him. Now the flood flushes him down into the depths of this great fish. The face of God, we were saying last week, was crowding in on him when he was on dry ground, when he was aboard the boat, when he was down below the boat, when he had sunk into a deep sleep, and he couldn't escape the presence and the face of the Lord. And now as he sinks under the waves and thinks, finally, I'm away from God's face, now the face of God has actually cornered him. As the fish swallows him, he is in the depths of the fish, and where else is he going to go? Where will he look but to God's face? It's as if God corners him and says, hey, Jonah, where are you off to? Where are you running to? Do I have your attention maybe now, finally? Look here, Jonah. Look here. And Jonah, it seems, refuses to look at God's face for the first two days of his incarceration there in the whale, in the fish. And finally, three days into his underwater captivity, Jonah has nothing else to do. He's in greater despair than he's ever been. And so he faces the Lord. And at this moment when he turns to face the Lord whose face has been crowding him so much, is when we get this poem from the pit. Now, remember that in the Hebrew imagination, the whole creation kind of has three levels, right? There's the heavens, there's the earth, and there's whatever is below the earth, right? The place where God and the spiritual beings dwell are the heavens. The place where we and plants and animals dwell, that's the earth, of course. The place where the dead dwell is what is under the earth, Sheol in Hebrew. Sometimes we translate it hell or the pit or the grave. And a lot of times in the Hebrew Bible, this underworld, this place below where we live, this place where we go when we die, is a watery place. It's a watery, dark grave. And now you see that this is exactly where Jonah has ended up, right? In a dark, watery grave. And so, verse 3, 
he begins his poem. Into the depths, to the very heart of the sea, I went. Verse 6, down to the roots of the mountains, to an underwater prison where the depths of the earth wrapped its bars like a jail cell around prophet Jonah. Jonah says, verse 4, that he has been banished from God's sight. And as we've been seeing, in a way, that's what he wanted, right? Get away from me and let me get away from you. But now what has happened? Well, now he's actually experiencing what it means to be lost. Did you know that many people who survive an intentional jump to take their own lives, they survive this, they will report that the moment that they jumped, they experienced a great sense of regret, a profound sense of how valuable life is, even how miraculous and beautiful it was. And then in the end, when they survived, they came to the sense that they were so glad that they failed, so glad to be alive. Well, here's Jonah. He had his death wish. He has hit rock bottom. His life is slipping away as the face of the Lord disappears from his vision finally. And that's the moment that everything changes for Jonah. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And don't let that confuse us. It wasn't a problem with his memory. It's not that he forgot about God. God was all over the place for Jonah. But it's that he remembered. He remembered the very thing that made him want to flee God's face. He remembered that the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that he gives life, that he forgives sins, that he restores life, that when people repent, he is compassionate and gracious. Jonah remembered that this is what God promised to be, not just in general. This isn't just what God seemed like he would be like to those awful Ninevites that Jonah so hated. But what did Jonah remember? He remembered that this steadfast love, this faithfulness, this compassion was for him. Was for him. And verse 4, at rock bottom, this is a beautiful image. He's there in the, in the fish, and he says, I'm going to turn myself. I don't know, did he have GPS? How did he know which direction the temple was in? But he says, I'm going to turn myself towards your temple, towards your presence, towards your face. And I'm going to call out to the one who is the only source of life. I can't see you, Lord. I know this is what I wanted. But Lord, now that I've got what I want, I don't want it anymore. I've been so foolish. I don't want this isolation, this so-called independence. I don't want death in order to get away from your presence. Actually, what I want, Lord, if you would just hear me, is you, your presence with me, your covenant bonds of love all around me, your life in my veins, your breath in my lungs. 
And so picture this, kneeling there in the guts of this monster fish, Jonah turns towards the temple, bows down, pours out what is left of his heart, of his energy, and he cries out for the very thing he's been fleeing, for the face of his God. And did it work? Verse 7, his prayer rose up from the pit and it reached the Lord in his holy temple. So far away it seemed, and yet so close. And Jonah then turns and makes a promise, verse 9, I will return and I will offer sacrifices and I will keep my promises and I will speak of your grace and your salvation. I will proclaim it. You see what he's done, right? He is imitating now those pagans at the end of chapter 1. These people who barely knew the true God, Yahweh, but who nevertheless cried out. And then having been saved, they offered sacrifices and they made vows and they committed their way to the Lord God. Jonah, in his poem from the pit, is imitating these pious prayers and these, this penance and this set of promises from these pagan sailors and making them his own. Clinging, verse 8, to worthless idols does no good. This is something he's used to thinking about pagans and now realizes it must be me that's the idolater. Now Jonah has learned the futility of making his ethnic identity, his religious job, his moral reputation, his position in the community, and anything else that he has into an idol. And there at the very gates of hell, as it were, he turns to the Lord's face and says, salvation is from the Lord. There's an old timer uh, gone from us now named Edward Clowney. Edmund Clowney, and he says that this verse here in Jonah chapter 2 is the center of the entire Bible. The center of the entire Bible. Salvation is from the Lord. And I think what he means is that it's not just these words which are central to the Bible, but it's this experience of Jonah that is central to true human living. Growth is, in a way, simply remembering as Jonah did over and over again. And we'll get to see Jonah struggle to remember this again in a couple of chapters. But to remember over and over again, to be honest, finally, that it's actually infinitely better to be broken, to be in sin, to be in need, and to go to the Lord and to be alive in his presence than to be proud and self-sufficient and dying without the face of the Lord anywhere in sight. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Have you had your Jonah moment, I wonder? Like, in the pit of who you are. Have you had your Jonah moment when you've been in the pit 
whether you put yourself there or you were thrown there by your circumstances? Have you had that moment where you remember with Jonah the relentless nature of God's face and his grace? And do you have Jonah moments, large or small, on a regular basis? Salvation is from the Lord. And it reaches down even to somebody like me. You realize, don't you, that when you are at the end of yourself, and even at the end of your life, that you can turn to the face of the Lord and you can know for certain that your cry from your heart will reach him in his holy temple. You know that, right? And you know, don't you, that when the cords of death surround you, you can call out, Lord, save me, and your cry will be heard. You know this, right? You do know, don't you, that if you make this your cry, that the Lord will, as the psalm says, deliver you from death, your eyes from tears, your feet from stumbling, that the Lord will pick you up on the last day, if not sooner, and he will stand you up tall, and he will allow you to walk in his presence in the land of the living. Jonah remembered finally that this was true. Do we have our moments of remembrance like Jonah? Here's the thing. You and I know, or we can know, even more deeply than Jonah did, that this is true. That this path back towards the Lord's face and his presence is open to us, that his mercy is more than our sin. Why? Why can we know this better than Jonah without having to go with him all the way to the depths of the earth? Well, because the Lord Jesus had his Jonah moments as well. The Lord Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and instead of running from God's presence, he's seeking out, as he did so often, the face of his Father. But there in the garden, as he prays, his soul is anguished, he says. It's as if he says with Jonah, all of your waves and your breakers are sweeping over and overwhelming my soul. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death, he says to his dumb disciples. And all they want to do is sleep instead of pray with him. He goes there to seek his father's face, but instead he begins to lose sight of his face, this face that he knew so intimately for all eternity. And so even before he's arrested, he says, oh, my soul is flooded to the point of death. And soon his friends will not just fail to pray, but they'll leave him. And soon enough, the Lord Jesus will be on the cross. And at the end of that agonizing experience, comes the worst moment of all when he cries out what? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face from me? Why have you withdrawn your presence from me? Why am I alone when I've come here to do exactly what you called me to do? Real death is being away from the Lord and giver of life. Now, we need to understand that it was the plan 
It was the awful, but also perfect and beautiful plan that the Father and the Son conspired together to make. That they would together reenact God's relationship with Jonah in the depths. That Jesus would cry out like Jonah did. But that in this case, at least for a couple of days, the Father would turn his face away. And then after the Lord Jesus had been in the depths of the earth for those three days, then, then his father would turn his face back toward Jesus. And when the Lord, the giver of life, turns his face towards one of his children, life emerges as it does from the grave. And the grave then spits Jesus out, vomits him out, if you want to be Jonah-like in our descriptions. And Jesus is alive, never to die again. Because Jesus, friends, experienced what we deserve from running away from the Lord, even though Jesus delighted in God's face and his presence, because of that, you and I know now, don't we? That when we cry out, no matter how far we've run away from God's face, he will hear our voice and he will rescue us. We'll experience what Jesus deserved for his faithfulness. God coming to us in grace and in power, no matter how unfaithful we have been. Salvation, we must finally realize, is from the Lord. Friends, whether today you find yourself in the pit or at the mountaintop, if you're in the pit, I weep with you. If you're at the mountaintop, I dance and rejoice with you. If you're just living your normal life and things are just eh, I'm with you there too. But wherever you are, it's time to remember, isn't it? Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. And salvation, final and full and free, deliverance from the bonds of death and life eternal shall be from the Lord and it shall be ours forever. Amen? Gracious God, we turn our face again towards our Savior and ask that you would beam the face of your countenance upon us as you shine your own glory in Jesus' face into our hearts and into our lives. Help us to be quick to return and quick to savor the grace and truth of your glorious presence. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for our own good. Amen.